So we're in First John. Uh, we've been in First John for about a month and a half, and um, I have titled this whole series, Live What You Believe. The Gospel of John taught us what to believe and how to believe in Jesus, uh, that you believe in that Jesus is the Christ, the only begotten Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. But believing something means that you're going to do something about it. And so John wrote this little letter that we call 1 John to help us understand that. Um, this week, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 3. And I'm just letting the text make the determination as to what our message is. So I'm not looking at the congregation because today is going to be about sin. And so I didn't look at the congregation and go, man, y'all are a really bunch of bad sinners. So I need to preach a message on sin. No, that's just where we are, and that's what the text is talking about. So you can blame John. Don't blame me, all right? This is 1 John chapter 3, and we're going to begin with verse 4. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. When he says he, he means Jesus. He appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. And by the way, that's the name of this message. In him there is no sin. Verse 6, no one who remains in him sins continually. No one who sins continually has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure that no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous. That seems pretty obvious, huh? just as he is righteous, that is, just as Jesus is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who has been born of God practices sin because his seed remains in him, that is, God's seed remains in the person who's been born of God, and he cannot sin continually because he has been born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother and sister. So that's where we're going to be today. And um, I don't always go verse by verse on Sunday morning, but this is pretty much a verse by verse study this morning. But let's, uh, let's define that term sin, first of all. Um, what would your definition of sin be, right? It's really simple. It's, it's actually well-defined by a famous verse in Romans chapter 3. Our karate kids have to memorize this in order to get blue belt, or actually starting with junior blue, which, by the way, our little Asher finally promoted to senior blue last Tuesday. He could have done this a year or a year and a half ago, but just wouldn't memorize those verses. And guess what, kids? I won't promote you if you don't memorize those verses. But then we have this other little guy that's in there that's just a teeny bit older than Asher who just started rocketing through and got serious about the verses. And so when we were out here on the, uh, the big uh, reopening of the square, I said, Asher, I said, all you got to do is get a Bible and write the verses down. The act of writing them is going to... My man was back there for three hours. And he got them. And then he turned it on a dime. And we're talking like a month later, or even, was it even a month? Maybe three weeks later? Okay. He jumped right in and memorized those, uh, those other verses that promotes him to senior blue. I do junior blue for kids so that there's a stair step in between. But in any event, um, one of the verses that he had to memorize is really simple, and I would urge you to memorize it. It's part of a series that um, will help you to lead somebody to Jesus. It's called the Roman Road to Salvation. Have you ever heard of that? 
All right. Um, basically, it's a, it's just a group of verses from the book of Romans that helps you to lead somebody else to Jesus. In fact, I was sitting right here this week when a young man came in who was very troubled, very troubled young man, uh, ha- has had some uh, some really fairly serious difficulties emotionally and mentally and so forth. And he just told me, you know, he committed his life to Jesus when he was a teenager. And I asked him about that and, you know, what happened and so forth. But he wanted to recommit his life to Jesus. Well, Pastor Craig can tell you and others that I have talked to throughout the years can tell you, I don't rely on whether you were saved back then or not. All right. I think if you put your faith in Jesus, you're always saved as long as you put your faith in Jesus. But that doesn't mean you don't need to come back because sometimes we just wander off. All right. But I always start back at the beginning. I just tell people, well, let's just start over. Let's just start right now. And so I went through these verses. Well, the first one that that, uh, we share from Romans is Romans 3.23. How many of you know that just by the address? Romans 3.23. For all have and fall short of the glory of God. It's really cool because the Greek word for sin, hemartia, just means to fail. It means to fall short. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. How many people have sinned? All. There's nobody without sin except Jesus. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So sin ultimately ultimately is failure to live up to God's expectations for your life. And God's expectations for you are set by how he created you and what and who he's called you to be, right? So sin is failure to live the way God intends because of how he created you. That's number one in my outline, right? Um, there is a way things are supposed to be, friends, Uh, We've just kind of fallen away from this idea. We all think we can just make our own life from scratch, but there really is a way things are supposed to be. I was thinking about this as I was sitting down here, and I'm coming up with examples from my time period. So if you're a lot younger, maybe these examples won't ring true to you. But uh, how many of you all have ever played a vinyl record, right? Okay, and we all know that that sounds a whole lot better than this junk we've got today. There's a warmth that comes from analog that is just not present. I mean, digital makes some clean sounding music, but it's, it's just it strips something away. It's, it's sterile. There's a warmth to vinyl. And of course, I grew up in that age when, you know, even I, I'm pre-cassette tape, all right? I'm, I'm pre-8-track. Do you even know what an 8-track is? Yeah, horrible technology, by the way. <laughs> Seriously, you'd be playing a song and it would just skip to the next track right in the middle of your song. As if you, I have songs memorized that have the skip in it. Right? No, this is pre all of that was vinyl records, okay? Now, how many of you all have ever heard the, the needle go across the record instead of staying in the groove? It makes a horrible sound, and it scratches your vinyl. And if you dig deep enough with that scratch, then you can't even play the record anymore, right? Um, But that's really what it's like. God created the world, and by the way, it's an analog world, not a digital world. And you need to stay in the groove if you're going to play God's music, right? But what we're doing is we're taking that needle and we're saying, no, this is the way I want to live. Or I was thinking, um, 
So these days, you don't even have to get a tune-up on your car until, you know, 100,000 miles or something. And all of these cars now are fuel-injected, and uh, you can't even get into the thing, right? It's just like a sealed, you know, um, engine. You've got to take it to the experts, and they plug it in and do all this stuff. And But back in the day, our cars had um, uh, carburetors, right? And you had to set the timing when you did a tune-up. And you did a tune-up about a little more often than, or a little less often, excuse me, than you do an oil change. Well, the timing is is the thing I I was trying to get you to understand because the timing means that the car ignites the fuel at the precise moment when the piston reaches its apex, when it reaches the top of the cylinder. So if you don't know anything about uh, a car, not an electric car, right, but a standard piston engine car, that piston is going up and down. When it reaches the top on compression, there's fuel that has been injected in there and the spark plug goes pop and ignites the fuel and jams that piston back down. What has to happen is the spark plug has to ignite at that exact moment when the compression is up to the top. Right? If it ignites before the piston reaches the top, then that's a problem. If it ignites after the piston starts going down, you say, well, how does it go down? Well, it's a, you know, it's a four cylinder or six cylinder, eight cylinder. So the other pistons are working as well. Then you have this car that goes clunk, 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 right? So back in the day, I used to be able to do that. I used to be able to change. I, I did my own tune up, right? I had a timing light. And uh, you, you, you set the timing light in there and it tells you when this thing is in perfect time. And when it's in perfect time, man, that engine purrs. It's just, right? If you got a bigger V8 engine, you know, and you've got headers or something on it, boom, 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 boom. Okay. But um, it's, it runs perfectly. You step on the gas and it smoothly accelerates. If your car is not timed correctly, then the thing is a disaster. It's Right, I have a. I won't tell this story, the long version of this story, um, but I got my tooth knocked out by a guy one time because I tried to get my car timed. It was really fun. Uh, I had this uh, old Chevelle Malibu, which I wish I had today, by the way. Chevelle Malibu SS. I saw one on Facebook Marketplace for fifty grand. Yeah, man, I paid like twelve hundred for this car. All right. And it wasn't in great shape, but it was in decent shape. I'd always wanted a Chevelle Malibu when I was in high school. I bought this one just to drive around, but the timing was off. And I was coming, I was staying in Phoenix on Christmas break. Uh, I was in Baylor going to, or in Waco going to Baylor University. And I was back here and I knew the timing was off. So I pulled into this service station and it had, a, you know, the bay was up and it said, you know, open. And so I asked this guy to put a timing light on my car. Long story short, he punched me in the mouth and knocked my tooth out. Um, so not only was my car off time, I had a bloody hole in my mouth. All right. So that guy was not living in tune with God's will. All right. And my car was not timed properly. Sin is falling short of God's expectation. There's a design, guys. There's a way things are supposed to be. There's a way you're supposed to be. There's a way your body is supposed to be. You can't make it up as you go along. Really, truly. So, since that's the truth, we need to align. All right, so let's go back to our text. Um, Sin is lawlessness, That's what John says. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Well, what what this means is people are a law unto themselves, right? 
Uh, you know, I've mentioned this several times because I just keep hearing these phrases. Uh, you know, you hear people say, oh, I'm living my truth, right? Well, I'm just, gonna, I'm, I'm just gonna go with my heart, right? Well, then you are a law unto yourself, right? People reject moral authority. They don't want anyone outside telling them what to do or how to live. By the way, this is why many people, perhaps most people, don't believe in God. It's not on the basis of the evidence. It's on the basis of the fact that they don't want a God over them telling them how to live their lives. So they just repudiate. They reject God, assuming that just because they don't like God, that means that he doesn't exist. Well, people reject that moral authority. It's like it was in the days of the judges. So if you go back in the Old Testament, uh, Judges is early on in the Old Testament, just after the Pentateuch, okay, Joshua, then Judges, right? The, the first five books of the Bible, then Joshua, which is the sixth, and then Judges. And uh, the people of Israel were a mess during this time period. Um, it was a lengthy time period, several centuries in length. They did not have a king over them, and they weren't paying any attention to God either. Well, God was supposed to be their king. So in two occasions, there is a verse. Uh, it's repeated in Judges 17, 6, and also in Judges 21, 25, which is, by the way, the last verse in Judges. Have you ever read Judges? Oh, man, it's just a mess, you can't believe what these people are doing. And this is what leads people to look at the Bible and say, well, you know, uh, that, that book's just, you know, it's a mess. It's, these people were doing all kinds of immoral things. Just because the Bible reports it doesn't mean God supports it. Amen? Say that. Just because the Bible reports it doesn't mean God supports it. You need to remember that because the Bible reports all sorts of things. Right? It reports the words of Satan. It reports the actions of sinful people. And if you're just looking at the Bible uh, and you're not discerning what you're reading, then you could assume, oh, well, God supported that. No, the majority of the things that were going on in Judges, God did not support. And here's what was going on. It says, every man did what was right in his own eyes. Does that sound like any other group of people you know? There was no king in Israel. There was no authority telling people, no, you have to do this or you're going to go to jail. You have to do this or you're going to be executed. There was no moral authority, except it was the, the law was supposed to be the moral authority. God was supposed to be their moral authority, but they weren't paying attention to God. There was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. Well, you know, we are in an era now, and really have been for some time, I mean, this can go all the way back to the 70s, when people just don't respect authority at all, particularly moral authority, okay? Um, People disrespect legitimate authority. Uh, so some time ago, I remember when the previous president was elected, people were saying, that's not my president. Well, I don't like the present guy, but he is my president and he's yours too, right? So as long as that person is authorized to be where they are and they're punishing the wicked and they're blessing those that are righteous, then we have a responsibility to pay attention to them, right? Now, when they punish the righteous and then they bless the unrighteous, then that is a demonstration that that particular individual is not a legitimate authority figure, okay? But the Apostle Paul tells us very clearly that we need to obey the governing authorities. Um, talking back to a traffic cop is like this. I see all these videos all the time. Now, I, you know, I've had my issues with bad police and there are good police and bad police. There are good preachers and bad preachers. Amen? I'm one of the good ones. <laughs> 
But, you know, that, that's just the fact. You can't let the reality that there are bad preachers make you believe that all preachers are bad or that there are bad police make you believe that all police are bad or suspicious, okay? The police can be suspicious of certain groups because they see a lot of individuals within those groups commit crimes, and so they have a tendency to just be prejudicial toward all people within that group, okay? But when I talk back to a cop that's pulled me over, I'm asking for trouble. And I can tell you I know that firsthand, that's why I tell you that cop may have, been, may have been having a bad day and he's being sassy or she's being sassy and not treating you with a great deal of respect. Don't talk back. Say, yes, sir, no, sir. Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Okay, well, I'm really being treated bad and there, it doesn't matter. Memorize their badge number and go to court later, right? Nine times out of 10, if you respect authority, even if that authority is not acting legitimately, right? They'll calm down. Um, they'll treat you. It, it, it's kind of like a mirror, friends, okay? What happens when you frown in the mirror? Yeah, your image frowns back. And when you frown at these people, they frown back, okay? It's exactly like that. Uh, or here's a good one. This is another verse that our karate kids have to memorize. Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath. A cop may be mad, I've already told this story a couple of times. I'm sorry for repeating myself. I'm old. Um, but one of the last times I got pulled over, I was, uh, I think I had just come around somebody that was going real slow and I was going too fast. And man, this, this officer was an older guy, right? He was furious at me. And I couldn't figure out why he was so mad at me. I mean, I thought, I didn't, you know, I just was unaware. I wasn't paying attention that I had done something that, you know, he thought was that wrong. And see, did you know you did this? I said, no, sir, but I'm sure you're right. And I didn't say it in a sarcastic way. I said, I'm sure you're right. I didn't argue with him or anything like that. Long story short, he let me go and didn't write me a ticket, which is great. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Stop talking back to cops. It's foolish. And it's an indicator that you're not respecting authority. All right? So what you and I need to understand as Christians is that the Holy Spirit writes the law of life, okay, the law of the spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus, onto our heart. When you're acting in a lawless way, when you are a law unto yourself, you either don't have the Holy Spirit and you're rejecting God's law from scripture, okay, or you do have the Holy Spirit and you need to be careful because you are rejecting the Spirit's leadership in your life. Right? So that's what it says, Romans 8, 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free and has set you free, if you're in Jesus, from the law of sin and death. What's the law of sin and death? Well, 10 commandments lead us, okay? They give us direction, but there were punishments, penalties for disobeying those commandments. That's the law of the spirit of, of, of death, okay? Uh, the law tells you this is what you're supposed to do. You say, oh, I don't believe that. It doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. If you don't do it, then you get the punishment, right? The cop pulls you over, and by the way, this happened to me recently too. Um, it pulls you over and says you were doing uh, over the speed limit. I was going down Walnut to the Rock, by the way, and the speed limit is 35, which I just thought was so dumb until recently somebody pointed out, well, there are houses all along here. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense then. But I was doing 47 and the cop, it was in a motorcycle cop and he clocked me doing 47 and man, they're good now. They're using LIDAR. It was exactly what my speedometer said I was doing. I couldn't argue. I didn't want a ticket, but I got a ticket anyway. Why? Because I was disobeying the law. When you disobey the law, you get a punishment. We're living in grace, amen? 
The punishment went on Jesus, but that doesn't mean you're living lawlessly. The law has been written on your heart by the Holy Spirit. That's the promise that comes from Jeremiah 31, uh, starting with verse 31 of Jeremiah 31. It talks about the new covenant, right? This is the agreement you and I are in with God through Jesus. That's the new covenant. People that go into the Old Testament and start picking out laws that they're going to keep. Oh, I'm not supposed to eat shellfish. Oh, I'm supposed to grow my beard out. Oh, we're supposed to be worshiping on Saturday? Wait a minute. That's a different covenant, and you're not under that covenant. You were never even invited to be under that covenant. It's crazy to me. I see, you know, I see people that are not Jewish and, you know, I, well, I guess, you know, here's where I could agree with some of our, our woke folks. It's cultural misappropriation. It's cultural appropriation. You're taking on a culture that is not yours and trying to live under a covenant that was not offered to you. Wow. You have been offered a covenant through Jesus, okay? Now, some of our Jewish friends enter into celebration throughout uh, as they, as they uh, enjoy these things that, that uh, the, the Jewish people brought into the world and all of those things have symbols and so forth, okay? Um, there are people that celebrate uh, Messianic Judaism and this is wonderful. There, there's nothing wrong with worshiping on Saturday. There's nothing wrong, uh, you know, if you're a, you're a Jewish male with wearing a, a prayer shawl and all these things. It doesn't mean you're not a Christian if you believe in Jesus. But what I'm trying to help you understand is if you're not Jewish, the old covenant was never offered to you to begin with, all right? But the new covenant in Jesus is, and this is what uh, Jeremiah said, Jeremiah 31, 33, God is speaking through Jeremiah and God says, I will put my law within them and write it on their heart and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Amen? That's what we have through Jesus. If you're in Christ, then the Holy Spirit is living in you and he is going to move through you. He's going to convict you. He's going to convince you of what is right and what is wrong all along your path throughout the day. But we get out of sync with God when we stop paying attention to the Holy Spirit, when we don't pay attention to the word of God as it is being taught or as we're reading it, okay? So what we need to understand is we're, we're, we all sin, uh, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And John says in uh, John 3, 5, um, you know that he appeared, that is Jesus appeared in order to take away sins. Jesus came to remove sins from his people. And I've mentioned this before, but it bears repeating. That's what the word for forgiveness means, aphiomi. Aphiomi means to remove sin. As far as the east is from the west, the psalmist says, right? He casts your sins into the sea of forgetfulness, into the depths of the sea, the prophet says, Okay, he's going to remove your sin. He's not winking at you saying, ah, oh, don't worry about it. You're just young, right? Don't worry about it. You're human. You're human. You humans are frail. You're failures. Hey, I, I said it through my apostle Paul. You've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Don't worry about it. That's not what he's saying. He's worried about it. He sent Jesus to die on the cross. That's an indication that God is not accepting your sin or my sin, Right? There had to be a payment made, and Jesus made that payment. So understand, Jesus came to take away sins. He came to remove sins from his people. So forgiveness comes at a great price, and that was the cross. Forgiveness doesn't mean sin is okay now. 
Jesus forgives our sins, and then he commands sin no more. We see that twice in John. Uh, I guess you would uh, want to, if it's, if it's John that we're looking at, Clearly, we want to look at John 5.14, which is the, the handicapped man that Jesus healed. And he said, now, sin no more or something worse will happen to you, right? Because sin always brings death into our lives. And then he says the same thing uh, to the woman who was caught in adultery in John 8.11. There is no sin in Christ. Now, this is where it gets difficult. This is the other half of... Uh, Chapter three, verse five. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. That's the title of the message today. There is no sin in Christ. When you remain in Christ, when you abide in Christ, you don't sin. Okay, that doesn't mean you don't trip occasionally. That doesn't mean that you don't uh, fall short at one point in time or another. But as we see throughout uh, the, the New American Standard Bible's translation of John, First uh, John chapter three, it talks about practicing sin. It's not talking about a stumble. It's talking about a practice. When you abide in Christ, you're not sin. When you stray from that abiding in Christ, then you are gonna sin. So you gotta keep your focus on Jesus throughout the day, and don't turn away. See, there's just so many distractions that get our focus off of Christ, paying attention to the Holy Spirit as he leads us. Distractions cause disruption in fellowship. Say distractions cause disruption. Yep. And that disruption is in your fellowship with the Savior. And that makes us weak, and then when we're tempted, we fail, and we fall short. If you sin continually, you don't no, Jesus. I didn't say it. John said it. John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 6. No one who remains in him sins continually. Now, some translations won't put the word continually in there. They'll just say sins. It's the tense of the Greek verb that help us understand that he means continuously, right? It's a present tense. And in Greek, a present tense means a continuing action in the present. It's not just about the when, it's about the how, right, of what's going on. So, in other words, there's a difference between stumbling and sinning continually. Um, we need to understand that knowing about Jesus is not knowing Jesus personally. So, if I know about Jesus, and this young man that I was talking to uh, that I mentioned earlier, uh, I asked him who Jesus was to him, and man, he he said, Jesus is God's son. He came to earth, died for our sins, died on the cross and so forth. I said, but who is he to you? Who is he in your life? And he was honest. He couldn't really answer that question. You see, it's not enough to know about Jesus. You can have all the right answers, but that doesn't mean you're remaining in Christ. You abide in Christ when you have that personal relationship with them, with him, and it's ongoing. There are many nominal Christians who are Christian in name only, right? That's it. They've grown up in church, so, you know, yeah, well, I guess I'm a Christian, all right? I go to X, Y, Z church, all right? Um, but if you sin continually, you'll be rejected when you finally do meet Jesus face to face. I can't go to church and then go out and live my life however I want to live my life or it demonstrates that I don't have a relationship with Jesus. There are plenty of church people that are not going to be in heaven. I didn't say it. I'm not sending you there. I want everybody to be in heaven. Amen? 
I really do. I'm not a universalist. I don't believe everybody's going to be in heaven. I be, believe people make up their own minds, and even when they say one thing, they may be doing another or feeling another thing. Okay? I want you all there, but that doesn't mean you're all going to be there. You're going to be there if Jesus is Lord in your life. All right? Listen to what Jesus said. This is uh, toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, uh, 21 through 23. Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, leave me, you who practice lawlessness. Remember what John said just a little bit earlier? Sin is what? Lawlessness. Being a law unto yourself, doing things the way you see fit, living by your truth is not going to get you into heaven. You put Jesus or you allow him to be central in your life and you seek with all of your heart to follow him. And this, this next one is really, seems very simple. This is uh, ver- chapter three, verse seven. But I'm not sure that we get this. He says, little children, and this is, this is very much a term of affection, right? He loves these people. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. You need to stop listening to people on TikTok that are supposedly teaching you the Bible. You really do, man. There's a lot of lies being taught on social media. Okay? Just because somebody has a channel that has, you know, several thousand followers doesn't mean they're telling you the truth. Just because they're entertaining or cute or whatever you think doesn't mean they're telling you the truth. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he, Jesus, is righteous. The one who practices sin is what? I didn't say it. John did. The one who practices sin is what? Yeah. It's really that simple. Righteousness is Christ-likeness, not self-righteous moralizing, right? Sin is following the devil fundamentally. People believe they're just doing what they want or what they feel, but they're actually doing what the devil wants. You need to understand that sin is the devil's work. And in the next verse, we see Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil, right? Verse eight, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning, from day one. He's been in rebellion against God and doing things his own way. The son of God appeared for this purpose to do what? To destroy the works of the devil. So the works of the devil are bound up in my old self. The old must be torn down before the new can be built. I see this happening a lot around downtown Garland. There are some of these old uh, wooden houses that are down here that have been allowed to fall into disrepair. And rather than repair the old house, they just raise it to the ground and they build something new, all right? How many of y'all remember what the square looked like when there was a set of buildings on that back side over there? You remember that? And there was, there was much debate about whether those buildings should be torn down. This is before they came up with this plan uh, that has been realized out there now. But there was much debate about those buildings. It, it kind of looked like a strip center, actually. And uh, I was surprised to find out that the, that's, those buildings were actually pretty old. But they didn't look old. They'd been redone in like the 80s or early 90s. So like I said, it just looked like a strip mall, right? Well, they tore them down. And because they tore them down, they were able to put this in. 
So you might tear something down and put a building in, or in this case, this beautiful park that we have out here. But you couldn't have this if you hadn't torn those buildings down. Are you, are you kind of getting to what I'm trying to lead you to understand? You can't hang on to your old self and live the life that God wants you to live. That's got to come down, right? I mean, you, you got to let Jesus come in with the wrecking ball. You got to let Jesus come in with that dynamite and blow that old thing up, man. Have you ever seen one of those controlled demolitions? Oh, man, I love it. If I wasn't a preacher, I would, I would want to blow things up for a living, when I was a youth minister at Freeman Heights, um, Rachel, I don't know, I can't remember if you were there. Craig, you probably were there. But do you remember when we were in downtown, uh, we went to like the Youth Evangelism Conference or something like that, and I brought you guys down there earlier to watch that building come down? Was that cool or was that cool? It was cool. You know, we're like standing behind the fence or whatever, and it went, and the thing just went, and then the dust. And then the bulldozers come in and push all that rubble away. And then they build something brand new in its place. Friend, Jesus doesn't want to bless your mess. He wants to tear that thing down. He wants to bring a bulldozer in and push it off into the garbage dump. And he wants to build what he chooses to build. And he chooses to build it with new materials, not materials that can be destroyed. Okay? The building is going to be built with precious stones and gold and silver, right? This beautiful temple, that's what he wants to build in the, in the place of this. He's gonna destroy the works of the devil in your life, but you gotta let go. The old's gotta come down. Second um, Corinthians 5, 17, this is one that they have to memorize for senior blue belt. Now, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. A what? Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. How many things are become new? All things are become new. I like that it says old things are passed away. What's the euphemism we use when somebody dies? We say they have passed away. Okay? But if they know Jesus, they've got a resurrection body. They're living in paradise with him. You're not taking this thing with you. God's going to give you a new resurrected body. And God's not going to bless your flesh. He wants to destroy your flesh. And that happens when you understand that you have been crucified with Jesus. You put your faith in Jesus that he died on the cross for your sins. And then you realize that he didn't just die for you. He died as you. I'm going to say that again. He didn't just die for you. He died as you. He who knew no sin. Who's that? Became our sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Man, I am nowhere near the righteousness of God. He's got to look through some really, really amazing glasses to see the righteousness of God in me. But he's put that in me. And when I pay attention to the Holy Spirit, then I walk that out. I live that out. When I pay attention to what's going on in the world, on Twitter, X, whatever it's called now, all right? Uh, Facebook, YouTube, I don't know what you pay attention to, okay? And you got all these people chattering, 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 and they strip our emotions, and we just start thinking, just starts following that instead of following Christ, right? Um, the old self must go so the new creation can become. I like this from Romans 6, 6. Knowing that our old self was crucified with him, 
that the body of sin might be done away with, that we might no longer be slaves to sin, Romans 6, 6. What that means is that the body of sin is rendered powerless. Okay, your body's not evil. We're not Gnostics. But we have all of these stored experiences and memories, right, that constitute the flesh because they came about outside of Christ. And that we have to be fundamentally separated from that old self, that, that, that those old memories, those old experiences. Some of those things are things that happened to you. You didn't ask for it. You got abused. You got molested. You got mistreated. You were exposed to things that you shouldn't have been exposed to. You need to stop letting kids be exposed to matters that are sexual when they're too young to understand what that even means. But maybe that's not something you chose. Maybe you were over at some friend's house and you were exposed to something like that. And that's, you know, been a part of your experience that pushes you the wrong direction. You don't blame that. You come to Jesus so that he can create a separation between you and that. Amen? If somebody abused you, molested you, whatever, you forgive them. And again, you're not saying, I, it's okay. What you did to me is okay. It's not okay. When you forgive somebody, you're saying, what you did to me is not okay. But I'm not going to hold it against you anymore. I'm turning it over to Jesus. Because he's the judge. And friend, he's going to judge. So you don't have to worry about whether they got caught, whether they got what they deserved. They're going to get what they deserved. Right? So we turn that over to the Lord and we say, you know what, whether it's something I've done or something that was done to me that's bound up in my flesh, that is this part of me that is, was not surrendered to Jesus, I give that up, I give that over to you and I allow you to make in me a new creature, a new man, a new woman. So I've got to see myself crucified with Christ and raised with him in a new life. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. Say that. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. Not Christ has been crucified for me. I have been, and in fact, the King James says, I am crucified with Christ. That is a way of translating the Greek verb in the perfect tense. It means something happened back here, but the action that it caused is continuing. I was crucified with Christ, but I'm living that out. I am crucified with Christ. It doesn't stop there. So that no longer do I live, but what? Christ lives in me. That's my focus, not my past. Not even my present, if my present is not in Christ, but my future in Jesus. I am crucified with Christ so that no longer do I live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live on in the body I live by what? Faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm living by faith moment by moment. The person who is reborn from God has the seed of new life within and cannot continue in sin. Um, that's uh, verse nine. No one who has been born of God practices sin because... His seed remains in him. His seed is the Holy Spirit who comes in and creates a little Christ in me, right? The seed of the Spirit, the Spirit of life that is in Christ Jesus. It says, and he cannot sin continually. This is where you really need a translation like New American Standard that's very literal, right? 
but it's helping you understand the tense of the verb. He cannot sin continually because he's been born of God. Listen, you know, temptation is not sin. You first need to understand that. Say, say that. Just because you're being tempted, that doesn't mean you're sinning, right? Uh, I mentioned this a good bit when I preach, but uh, Martin Luther, the reformer, um, said that sin was like a bird. And he said, the bird may land on your head. That's a temptation. But you must not let it build a nest in your hair. That's entertaining the temptation and beginning down, walking down that road of sin. Stumbling on occasion is not sin. Uh-oh, yes, that's what I said. That's what this means, sin continually. All right, so how many of you have been up these stairs that go upstairs, that go up to our upstairs? Yeah. You know, they're built kind of funny, right? They've got this little lip that overhangs, right? They're steep. We've been in this building upstairs since 2010, and I can tell you that there are still times when I go up those stairs and I catch my toe on that overhang and just about bite it right there on the stairs. I mean, it's like, and I get mad at myself. I'm like, how long have you been climbing these stairs? You can't just slide your foot up like this because the lip overhangs. You're going to do that, okay? The other day, well, this has been a couple months ago now, I was coming down from the loft so upstairs, there's kind of like this little second level and it's got a, a staircase that kind of turns. It's got a big flat area and then it comes down. And it was dark and I was coming down the loft and I just missed a step. Have you ever done that before? Just randomly missed a step? I folded my leg all the way under. I mean, my heel touched my rear end and it hurt, man. And I thought, okay, I can still move. I'm okay. But I will tell you, I did some kind of damage there because it hurt for quite a while after that. And I just kept praying. I'm like, Lord, I hope I didn't tear any cartilage. I don't want to have to go to the doctor, right? But, you know, the Lord healed that. So stumbling on occasion is not that I don't stumble up those stairs all the time. I don't stumble down those stairs, thankfully, or I would stop going up and down stairs. I'm getting old. There might come a time when I don't do that. I don't know. Okay, the question you need to ask yourself is what is your default? If your default is righteousness, faith, and love, then you can be sure that you're a child of God. And this is the final verse. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother and sister. And that's what uh, the apostle is going to get into in the next section of chapter three, loving your brother and sister. So you need to understand when you're in Christ, you don't sin. If you practice righteousness, that's what you seek to do daily. Not that occasionally you don't stumble up or down the stairs, but that you seek to practice doing what's right on a regular basis. If you're paying attention to the spirit of God as he speaks to you within, then you're a child of God. If not, then not, okay? I'm gonna conclude uh, by reading from what the Apostle Paul said, because I haven't spoken of any actual sins. I've just been referring to sin as not being in agreement or in alignment with God's will, okay? But this is what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? You know, what's he saying? The unrighteous are not going to heaven. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, 
nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor those who habitually, who, nor those habitually drunk, nor verbal abusers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the spirit of our God. When you receive Jesus, you repent of that old life. You turn your back on that old life. You don't keep doing this. Well, yeah, but I don't know if I want to leave that behind. No, man, repentance is turning your back on that. And you turn your back on that and don't just try to live your life by yourself. No, you're living your life by faith in Christ and he's pulling you along and he's helping you, right? Repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin. Repentance is turning from, faith is turning toward. Repentance is turning from your old life. Faith is turning toward the Lord Jesus. You cannot have one without the other, right? If you try to repent without faith, you're just going to go back like a dog to its vomit, like a sow to the mud hole, okay? If you try to have faith without repentance, it's not going to stick. It's emotionalism, and you're just going to go back once again, okay? You've got to have faith and repentance. So I'm going to leave you with that. Put your faith in Jesus. Um, I, we quoted uh, that first step in the Roman road earlier, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then the next step says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. Amen? The wages of sin is always death, but God is always offering that gift of eternal life to you through Jesus. And then the next step says, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Say that. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then the final step, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a prayer. Call out to him. Say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross for me. I admit that I'm a sinner and I know it and I'm sorry for my sin. I believe you rose from the dead and I open my heart and invite you to come inside. Pray a prayer like that. If you mean what you prayed, then God will step out of heaven and step into your heart and give you a new life. Amen?